Good morning. Welcome to this time of teaching. I'm grateful that you're a part of this online service. We need to remember that our minds truly matter to God. The Holy Scripture instructs us to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. The Scripture further reminds us that whatever is pure, noble, true, of good report, think upon these things. But sometimes the world conditions our minds and our thoughts negatively. Sometimes we become conditioned by the influence of a godless culture, of of a broken culture, that our thoughts turn away from God and more to ourselves, our things that are of the flesh. And so we're instructed by Scripture to set our minds on the things of God. We're instructed to have our minds changed when our minds are becoming conditioned by the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, gives us clear instruction on how our minds are to be changed when we have become conformed to the thoughts of the world. Listen to these verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Well, I love that phrase, your spiritual worship, because this comes from an old term that actually references sacred worship, like that of a priest walking in to the altar to offer an acceptable sacrifice to God. Here in the scripture, we are called to present our bodies this way, our lives, as an acceptable sacrifice, because this becomes our reasonable or acceptable service or worship. Verse 2 of Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Paul wrote this to the brothers. He, He addressed brothers, which actually indicates his fellow Israelites who have become followers of Jesus. The term is all encompassing to include also the entire church, but he focused upon those who who once were following after the things of the law and have met Christ, and many who thought if they just simply continued with outward function, all would be well. Paul reminded them, no, no, your your mind, your thoughts, the center of who you are, truly needs to be renewed and transformed by the, the influence, by the impact, by the change that Jesus brings to our lives. So yes, even the best of us, must say, hey, my mind needs to be renewed. Uh, There are actually stories of Christians and entire churches that have gone through a change of mind. One such story comes from author Jan Jansen. I grieved when our church began chaining our parking lot to keep the cars out from the parents who were dropping their children off at an adjacent school. The school's parking lot was minuscule, and we saw many accidents. I mentioned this to our church leaders, but they told me they had just had the parking lot paved and wanted to keep it clean. But the youth pastor and I suggested that we should open our parking lot anyway and offer breakfast bars to the parents. Uh, But there was no response. But eventually, our leaders and our church changed our minds. When a church uh, across from another nearby school put up this sign... Public parking, welcome to all, except on Sundays from 8 to 12 when we invite everyone to church. Keeping places neat and clean became more important to us than than meeting needs. I'm so glad 
we changed our minds. And sometimes entire churches must have their minds renewed, changed. Even experts sometimes must admit, hey, I was wrong. My mind and my thoughts need to be changed. Dr. Bernard Nathanson was the director of one of the largest abortion clinics in the Western world. He actually said he knew every facet of abortion and helped to nurture the creature. By creature, he actually referenced the abortion industry. But with the advent of ultrasound technology and having viewed the fetus for the first time, Dr. Nathanson said this, we could really see the human fetus. We could measure, observe, and watch it. We could bond with it and, and love this human life. So I changed my mind because of the facts. So even, yes, experts sometimes must admit I was wrong and there needed to be a change of mind. You know, even great figures in history must admit that they were wrong and needed their minds changed. One month before his death, the bedridden Napoleon in exile on the island of St. Helena dictated his will and in his will made this statement, I expressly forgive my enemies, the English. So yes, noted people in history, uh, experts, and even entire churches, followers of Christ, must at times admit, hey, we, we were wrong. We got this wrong. And we need, by God's mercy and grace, a change of heart, a change of mind. And so I welcome you into Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where we focus on one unique call on our life today, the mind renewed. If we truly desire to follow Jesus, how do we not only give him our outward activity in the form of religious function, but how do we truly give him our inner self, our soul, which comprises our mind, will, and emotions? How can we say, God, take my mind and my thoughts and renew them for your purpose. In order to move more deeply into these truths, I'd like to invite you to first consider the context of this call. Remember, the call is the renewed mind, the changed mind. So let's consider the context of this call. Uh, for the context, we look more deeply into verse 1 that we've just read to discover an absolute truth. The context of this call to have our minds renewed actually becomes built on an absolute truth. Let's look at verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, fellow Israelites who have become followers of Christ, I urge you in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing, acceptable to Him. This is your true and proper worship. We've already discussed that phrase. This is your true act of the sacredness of giving yourself sacrificially to Jesus. Let's focus on the absolute truth that builds the context for our call to have our minds renewed according to Jesus. Not according to the culture or our own inclinations, but according exclusively to Jesus. To understand the absolute truth upon which all of these uh, other truths are built, we focus on this very simple word, therefore. Now, for you and for me at first glance, this may simply seem like a grammatical connection from, from free previous verses to this verse. But actually, the very term uh, in the Greek where we translate therefore serves as a hinge, 
upon which Paul, in that very simple term, will have summarized every portion of his teaching in chapters 1 through 11. That becomes a mammoth collection of truths, of, of scripture, of biblical truths God has given his church, his, the followers of Christ. The term, therefore, gives us pause because the obvious indication references that Paul points back to what he had already taught and explained to his hearers. Well, because you and I probably at this moment can't read word for word chapters 1 through 11, which I certainly encourage you to do, I'd like to give you a brief summary of those chapters so that we can understand the absolute truth, the context of our call to have our minds renewed. The term, therefore, points back to chapters 1 through 11. The grammarian would call this the indicative. Those chapters explain that which indicates a true follower of Jesus, that which becomes indicative. And then from chapter 12 forward, the indicative leads to, yes, the imperative, the command. And so that which we have become in Christ translate to how we respond to what Jesus has done to change us. The indicative, this is who you are, translates to the imperative. This is how you live in response to who you are. And this becomes the powerful message of the gospel and certainly a, a powerful summary of this letter we know as the letter to the Christians in Rome, the book of Romans. And so here the word therefore points us back to the indicative, all that indicated who we are as followers of Jesus. Paul said, therefore. But the summary of those first 11 chapters, uh, although very complex as you read them verse by verse, can easily be summarized in a few places. One of those places that all the preceding truths can be summarized can be found in Romans 3.24. Allow me to read this for you. Romans 3.24 states, We are freely justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This statement represents the absolute truth. We're called to renew our minds, not simply because that becomes a novel action of the Christian or the religious person or the church member, but we are called to renew our minds because of the truth that is contained in Romans 3.24. We have been freely justified by God's grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Because of this, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Have your minds renewed, not conformed, but transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ. But listen again to that one summary of the previous chapters, Romans 3.24. We are freely justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the two words that really jump out would be the words justified and redemption. Those sound very heavily uh, like theological terms, and they are. But, but yet, the essence of those terms are actually very clear uh, when we understand why they're used here. So, the idea of justified, when we read, hey, you're freely justified. Again, this references the absolute truth upon which all that we're studying presently builds. This becomes the, the context. Uh, you have... You have been freely justified. The word justified in its very uh, root form actually indicates to, to be exonerated, to be considered innocent, to be made right according to the standard of the one who judges. Obviously, in this case, God alone judges. Jesus even said he alone judges the heart of man. And so because God judges every act of our lives, we stand in a great need of being made right with God. 
And that does not take place in our own goodness. Scripture says that's impossible. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, we've been justified. We've been made right with God, if indeed our faith is in Jesus. If we accept by faith what Jesus has accomplished through his sacrifice on the cross. This references the Christian message. This references the one absolute truth that leads us into a right relationship with God. The peace we can have with God, the, the, the harmony, the joy, the forgiveness of sin, the renewal, both in, in mind and body can, can become proven through this great word, justified. We have been justified, made right, exonerated. We have been absolved. You know, sometimes the idea of one being exonerated might, might indicate that one was actually proven innocent. But here, justified doesn't mean that we were proven innocent, but because of our sins, we're not innocent. But the idea of justified means we've been made right with God. Our sins are forgiven. We are not simply proven by man's standard. We're in, although we're guilty, God will consider us right. No, we've literally the old word forensically, we have been by the very evidence of what Jesus did on the cross. We've been made right with God. We've been justified. Now, the other term that we heard when we were summarizing the first 11 chapters of Romans, we heard not only you've been freely justified through grace, but you've also been redeemed through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The word redemption actually translates to be bought back, to be purchased back to the original place where God has intended. This idea of redemption actually shows the distance of separation between man and God because of sin. But because Jesus died on the cross for us, when we trust in what Jesus has accomplished, we've been brought back. We've been bought back. We've been purchased back by the very blood of Jesus. If God did not withhold his own son from us, how will he not with him freely give us all things? But God demonstrated his love for us in this way. While we were yet separated by sin, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, even though while we were separated. He loved us and brought us back to himself. So the idea of justified and redemption, although sounding very heavy theologically, actually have very clear meanings. To summarize, these two terms actually state, God in Christ has done everything necessary to bring us into a right relationship. All of that became packed in that simple word, therefore. So when Paul said, therefore, and he began to talk about a renewal that would change our minds, ultimately that we would be renewed by our minds, all of this became built through the word, therefore, on all that he taught earlier. Summarized, we've been justified and redeemed. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us into a right relationship with God. But now we not only underline the word, therefore, we underline the phrase, God's mercy. This not only references the, the good benevolences of God, which there are many, many fold, uh, millions upon millions of graces and blessings God pours into the life of his children. But here, the idea of God's mercy does not become limited to simply his benevolent acts toward us or his kindnesses. But actually, God's mercy references all that we've just stated, how he, through his mercy, has imparted his grace so that we can be justified and, and redeemed and brought back to himself acceptable. This becomes an amazing statement and references the absolute truth. We have been made right with God in Christ. It was a contemporary to Paul in the Roman culture by the name of Seneca, one of the loftiest of all ancient moralists, who truly in his own writings could have easily echoed all that Paul 
wrote about concerning the righteousness of God in Christ. But there was only one item missing in Seneca's writings. Uh, the, the motivation of what Jesus has actually accomplished. Yes, Seneca wrote about morality and about good things that could sound very much like some of Paul's writings, but there was no gospel present. There was no motivation of a divine order to call men to respond to, to the righteousness of God. There was only an attempt to be good. And so one historian penned this, while Seneca taught his good morality, Rome continued to digress into a cesspool of moral, uh, of moral putridity and Nero continued to slaughter people. And that's a rough and very, very aggressively defined narrative of the history of Paul's day. But the truth is certainly very real that Paul was preaching uh, the, the rightness of behavior. Seneca was writing the rightness of behavior, but the huge, the huge disconnect between the two was and the only motivation Seneca had in his writings was goodness. Paul's motivation that he passed on concerning right living was the truth that God has accomplished in Christ, our rightness. So we no longer have to, uh, to create righteousness. We no longer have to attempt an achievement of righteousness. God has done this in Jesus Christ. And it's all because of the goodness of God made known through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Historian Paul Vane considered himself agnostic and an unbeliever. But he commented on this concerning the gospel. He wrote this, Christianity owes its success to the infinite mercy of God, passionate about the fate of the human race, indeed about the fate of each and every individual soul, including mine and yours, and not just those of other kingdoms and empires, and not just the whole human race, but actually you and me. God has become passionate about us and has drawn us back to himself. A historian who claimed to be an agnostic recognized historically that the truth of the Christian faith is God bringing us back to himself. This becomes the absolute truth upon which we are called to have our minds renewed. So our mind renewal does not achieve anything with God, but becomes the, the result of God's work of righteousness in our lives. And we trust Jesus. God brings us to himself, makes us right with himself. And then our desire becomes that our minds would be renewed. Now I want to move to verse two as we conclude today's teaching. Verse one instructed us on the, the whole context of the truth we now find in verse two. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. The ideal world can actually reference age or the specific moment of the world in which we are living. So do not be conformed to the present pattern and influence of this culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we first looked at the context of this call, but now we look at the critical nature of this call. And oh, how critical this call becomes for you uh, and for me. This, this critical nature of our call to have our minds renewed expresses a very significant moral dilemma. The moral dilemma becomes expressed here in verse 2. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. The moral dilemma becomes for every, every person, especially every follower of Jesus, the challenge to, to avoid being conformed to this present culture and to be transformed. So this, 
This call expresses an urgency because the criticalness of our minds being renewed builds upon this moral dilemma of either being conformed to the world or transformed by the renewal of our minds. Now, the the grammatical inflection of verse 2 teaches us so much. And you may not be interested in grammar. I understand that. But bear with me for just a moment as we understand why verse 2 should be heard with this inflection of urgency. So when you when you read, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, the idea of do not be conformed is in such a tense that indicates ongoing action. Ongoing action of avoiding com- being conformed to the world. But this word, this phrase is also in the, in the text of the verb, passive, bear with me, which actually indicates the conformity that happens to us. And so it's as if Paul would teach, do not be so passive in your faith that you allow your life, particularly your mind, to be conformed to the world. And because that phrase references a verse that that expresses present tense, this becomes an ongoing challenge or call. Don't be conformed. Don't allow yourself to be conformed by the pattern of the world. And then we turn to the second part of this verse, but be transformed. And again, the same grammatical inflection is there. Don't be, don't be transformed. Present tense. Continue having your mind renewed. Again, it's passive, just like the previous verb. So you're saying to God, God, I allow your truth to transform my mind. And you're saying, uh, in, in, in contrast to many who actually fall passively, to the world and become conformed. So do not passively allow your mind to become conformed, but instead be transformed continually by the renewing of your mind. This becomes the critical nature of of this call. So consider first the conformity to which Paul warns us. Do not be conformed. This idea of conforming means to be fashioned by uh, an outside mold, to be changed by that which is uh, externally to our lives, pressing us into a certain form of, of behavior. We need to be careful that we are not fashioned by the culture. It was the old writer, William R. Newell, who gave us five expressions of this conformity of which we're being warned right here. And I'd like to share these with you. First, our culture produces philosophies, conforming us to man's wisdom and insight. Second, our culture produces secular sciences, which conform us to the propensity to eliminate the supernatural. Third, our culture produces government rulings which can conform us uh, to the to the attempt man makes to exalt himself and to rule and manage himself fourth our culture can produce amusements writes newell that that conforms us to the culture by sedating us to true reality as our minds are taken somewhere that amuses the flesh and then fifthly religions of the world can can lead us to conformity to being conformed as as religion itself 
soothes man's conscience and somehow allays thoughts of judgment. These are expressions of the culture, of any culture, dated back to the beginning of time. These are expressions of conformity that any culture can and does and is producing. And this constantly conforms our minds, if we're not careful, away from the thoughts of God uh, to the thoughts and the inclinations of man. And so conformity becomes this fashioning that happens from the outside in. And if we are not careful, this happens so subtly and so quickly that sometimes many Christians are, are oblivious to how their thinking and their their inclinations express more of the things of the world than the things of Jesus Christ. Second to conformity, we understand this pattern of the world the verse mentions. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not have your mind, will, and emotions fitted like the ongoing pattern of this world. The pattern of this world uh, expresses two sources of influence. The outer influence. Galatians 1 verse 4 reminds us that this is an evil age, constantly leading our minds astray. There is also an inner influence. I tell you, the verse uh, that I found in 1 Peter 1.14 really becomes a stark reality to the inner influence we have in our minds. And Peter wrote this in chapter 1, verse 14. He said, as obedient children, do not conform to the desires of your former ignorance when you denied God and denied the reality of Jesus and lived by your own carnal intuitions and thoughts and desires. Peter said, do not go back and conform to your to the to the lustful ways of your of your ignorance. And so we have these two influences. The pattern of the world can can influence externally. This becomes an evil age and internally we can sometimes fall back to to actions and thoughts that controlled us before we surrendered our our lives to Jesus. The pattern of the world also references a destruction. We read again in the scripture that this world is passing away. First John 5:19 reminds us that we're of God, but the whole world is under the power of the enemy. So the pattern of the world influences us away from God and leads us to destruction, but the pattern of the world reminds us to be alert. In 1 Peter 5:8, this is what we're told. 1 Peter 5:8, be careful. Translated be watchful because the enemy is prowling around seeking to devour us. So let's be very careful that we do not fall to the conformity of this world and to the pattern which influences us away from the scriptures, from the thoughts of God in Christ and molds us, outwardly molds us into the thinking of the world. It was a former president of Moody Bible Institute, Joseph Stowell, who actually interviewed a pastor from the former Soviet Union. This pastor told the story of how officers from Stalin came to his church and demanded that he become somewhat of an ecumenical spy reporting back to, uh, to, uh, to, to Stalin those in his church who were truly worshiping Jesus. The pastor said, I cannot do this. And so the pastor was arrested. He was beaten and he was given 
uh, kind of a role of an indentured uh, slave or, or even worse, someone who is working out their prison sentence and, and harsh labor. And so these prisoners of the state would be sent out to different cities so that they could build Stalin's perfect culture. Well, while these pastors, many of them arrested who were pastors, were sent out to work for Stalin, they actually had conversations with locals about the gospel. And consequently, after many, many years of this, churches began to to evolve everywhere. Churches focused on the gospel of Jesus. And so proof here is this. When we resist conforming to the world, even though at times it may seem as if the result has been suffering, God will do something amazing in the lives of those who do not conform to the world, but keep their devotion solely upon Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the context of the call and the critical nature of the call. So now we look at the call itself as we close. The renewal of your mind. And the renewal of the mind becomes expressed here. Be transformed by your mind renewing. The word transformed comes from the word metamorpho, which actually means to be transformed outwardly by another reality. And in this case, an inner reality. So we move back to the truth that we began with. To be transformed here in this context means that we are allowing an inner reality, the reality of our faith in Christ, to totally transform our thoughts, how we feel, our emotions, and our will, which consequently indicate how we act in our bodily actions and attitudes. So allow the truth of Christ to bring that renewal, that metamorpho, that total transformation. And you may say, well, well, Pastor, how does that happen? I find it very difficult to keep my mind and my thoughts totally focused on Jesus. Take these two steps concerning the renewal of your mind the metamorpho. Consider step number one, think historically. Step number two, think about the present change. First, think historically. Allow your mind to return to the truths that have been accomplished in your life through Jesus Christ. Allow your mind in the context of what Jesus has accomplished to become historical. Now, I know many of us do well at becoming hysterical, but do not become hysterical as you overly react in the flesh to the things of the world. Become historical concerning that which Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. Appropriate that truth to your life and your thoughts. Do not appropriate all the sound bites that are negative that constantly flood into your life. Have your thoughts conditioned by what Jesus has accomplished for you in the past. So think historically about what Jesus has accomplished. But the second step, think in the present. Think about what Jesus desires to accomplish in your life right now. Listen to Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus saved us. Actually, God saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God our Savior in Christ saved us by changing us and renewing us through the Holy Spirit. This Spirit He poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the fullness of God becomes listed in this one verse. God the Father who has initiated His love and grace through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, empowered by the Spirit's work in our life. That verse and many others just like it truly matter because the fullness of God becomes listed here. And the purpose of that verse then and now was to 
stir the Christians to remember what God has done and then to presently allow that truth to dictate, to change, to lead how we think, how we act, and how we respond. This becomes our call to truly have our minds renewed and changed. C.S. Lewis once observed, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. So not only do we think historically of what Christ has done and we presently commit our ways to that truth, but our minds are set upon that day when God calls us home and, and the work becomes finished. And oh, I pray that your mind will be renewed with these truths. Dr. Stanley Jones reminds us, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. If you do not make up your mind at this moment, I know what Jesus has done and accomplished in me. And if you do not make up your mind concerning what Christ has done, your unmade mind will unmake you. My dad used to teach me when I was very young a truth that stays with me to this day. If you, uh, if you believe anything, you will fall for everything. And so I encourage you, don't just believe anything. Don't, don't believe in nothing. Don't just assume that you're okay. But consider what conditions your thoughts and your minds. And ask God this day, right now, God, give me a mind that has become transformed by the truth of Jesus, not conformed to the things of the earth. Thank you for being a part of this teaching. The mind matters. It truly does. And we're called to have our minds renewed through the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray that's your reality today. On the screen, you'll see in a moment a website location. If you'll reach out there, we would love to have conversation with you immediately concerning the truth of Jesus and how that truth can change your life. Scripture says if we confess him as Lord, he will forgive us. He'll, he'll hear us. He'll forgive us. He'll cleanse us. If we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if we truly surrender our lives to him, if we confess him as Savior and Lord, we'll be saved from our sin. Well, I pray that you know that truth. If not, reach out to us. We want to share with you the truth of Christ personally so that you can know him and your life can be saved from sin and changed forever. And dear Christian, if your mind has been encouraged, uh, excuse me, discouraged and, and, and formed by all the negative truths around the world, uh, maybe even around your own private life, maybe even your own personal experiences have just totally wrecked your thoughts and taken your mind off Jesus. God loves you. You can return to him honestly and just say, God, I, I got it wrong. I was looking at the wrong things. I was thinking the wrong things. And God, I confess the sin of my thoughts and my mind and I return to you. Oh, I pray that you can do that now and feel the forgiveness and the grace of our Lord. Hey, thank you for joining us again for this teaching series. Let me pray over you in your home before we go. Father God, thank you for the audience that joined us online today. Bless them as individuals, bless family, bless homes so that our thoughts are always on you. We pray this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And together we said, amen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of this. Hey, there is one more teaching series in the Mind Matters, and we'll be covering that soon. I look forward to being with you again. Love you a lot. Take care. God bless. Thank you.